0: A lot of people who aren't in here today, because they're at the cost of discipleship. Wow. Yeah, we're just trying to talk about that, like figure out who's who's gone. And we counted about eight people Amen. who are uh, from Kaya in cost of discipleship, and that's grown to be pretty common, praise God, right? Um, and man, that signifies something really important, and I want to address it real quick before Eric comes up here and, and shares. Um, last week was Vision Sunday, and, and hopefully a lot of you guys were in attendance and, and, and heard uh, Sam Miles, our pastor, is talking about the vision for our church, and, and really where we've what kind of come from and where we're headed. And, uh, you know, to make a long story short, uh, we are going to, uh, the plan, the plan is to win this entire city to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Anybody have a problem with that? Yeah. No. Uh, so our, our intention is to take the gospel message of Jesus Christ and take it to this entire city, all right. Uh, so that everyone might know the good news, and uh, then disciple those people so that they would have an understanding of the Bible. Um, so you know, a lot of people are convinced that, that Christianity is just like any other religion, and we're going to set people free from that. Um, and so that's our goal. That's what we're what we're hoping to do. And we're only beginning uh, that work. We're only just beginning. And uh, just by way of, of maybe. Discussing the vision in terms of, of Kaya. Um, In the last year, we've gone from a, a, a class of about 70, 65 to 70 people to a ministry of about 120 to 130 people in about a year. Now, that is, has nothing to do with us. Uh, it has everything to do with Jesus Christ giving us favor in our schools and in our workplaces and in our coffee shops and the places that we go. And as we open our mouth, he is faithful to do exactly what he promised to do if we're bold and we're willing to live the great commission, he's going to be faithful to use us. And that means every one of you. And so like for those of you who are here for the very first time or maybe only been here a few times, uh, we believe that God wants to use you too. And um, that your life doesn't have to be purposeless. Uh, it doesn't have to be about your job. Um, it doesn't have to be about your education. It doesn't have to be about finding a spouse. Or uh, You don't have to be obsessed with those things. Um, you can have purpose that transcends all of that. It just it just does. I don't know how to explain it, especially in three minutes. I don't know how to explain it to you. Uh, Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection transcends all of our preconceptions about what life should be. It just does that. And uh, in this ministry right here, uh, we're going to be on the cusp of that work because we're going to devote ourselves fully to evangelism and to uh, discipleship. And um, now, what I want to say before, before Eric comes up here is that... At the, there, there are, there's things that I've come to recognize about the cycle of a school year. And as we enter into the finals week, uh, we're going to lose some of you guys. Uh, there are going to be people that disappear. You can already see that the, the, uh, the numbers might be a little low this morning because people are studying, which is fine. I'm not, I'm not saying anything about that. But people are going to go home for the summer. There will be new people that are available this summer that weren't before. They were somewhere else, and now they're going to be here. And this is always a time of transition. And in times of transition, what I've learned is that if you're not prayerful, you're not conscientious, and you're not disciplined, uh, things are going to slip through the cracks. We're going to lose people along the way. And so we need to be really intentional about reaching out to people over the next couple weeks. And we need to be conscientious of our plan as it concerns the summer. And so right now, what i want to do, uh, we've got a lot to do. Uh, Eric's going to open the Word, and, and we're going to be in the Word. But we're going to take just a couple minutes about and, and pray to the Lord that God would help us to have a plan for our summer. That it wouldn't be wasted. Does anybody know how to waste time? I'm very, very, very familiar with this myself. I waste time. Okay, but what else do you have besides time? I mean, that's like one of the only things that we have to leverage in this life. And you can burn it away real easy. And so what I'm, I'm, I'm asking is that we would, we would together collectively pray to Jesus Christ and ask him that he might give us a vision for our summers. That we would know how to prioritize his Word. Okay? That we would seek his face. That we'd find a new level of intimacy with Jesus Christ. That we would be able to prioritize people. That we would make time for people. That we would go meet with them. That we would help younger brothers and sisters in Christ to grow and to build their faith. All right, That we would find time for fellowship. This is very easy to, to begin to dismiss these things. We can get selfish in the blink of an eye. And so let's take a moment in groups of two or three and uh, let's pray and then uh, we'll, we'll come back together. I'll pray for Eric, and, uh, and then we'll have your Bible ready, okay, and your notepad ready because we're going to get into God's Word here in just a second. Okay, let's take a moment and pray that God would help us. Dearly Father Lord, we thank you so much uh, for your word and how you're growing us, and you're growing this ministry. God, we're so thankful uh, for the purpose of the Great Commission. And uh, God, we want to be, be faithful uh, to what you've called us to. We don't want to be slack. Uh, we don't want to waste time. We don't, we don't want to waste the things that you've given us to steward. But we love your word. We know what it's done for our lives. We know what it's doing for our lives, and we want to share that. Would you give us opportunities? Would you would you create new relationships? Uh, would you allow us to uh, uh, find new people who are longing and in need of something uh, greater than uh, themselves? And so, Lord, would you would you help us? Would you help us to make profit this uh, this coming summer, uh, Lord? Would we pray for finals, and I know that it is burdensome, and I know for a lot of people it's overwhelming. And there's a lot of probably anxiety in this room this morning concerning the next week. But God, I pray that you would give us peace. Um, Lord, that you'd make us diligent. And and you would make us good stewards of what you've given us in our schools and in our academia. But Lord, uh, allow us to contextualize that. Allow us to see it in light of eternity. And uh, Lord, that we might be set free from, uh, Lord, the burden of that. And uh, Lord, we pray that, Lord, you'd help us. That you'd give us strength. Uh, as as we uh, listen to your word, as we ask for your conviction, would you use Eric? Would you speak through him? And Lord, would you allow him to cover all the things that's needful for us, that he wouldn't get hung up on anything. Um, Lord, it's really easy to focus on things that that maybe aren't as needful, that are great, that aren't as needful. But Lord, would you use him to speak to us exactly where we're at, uh, that we might be um, provoked to greater faith. uh, Use him. Uh, Lord, we love you and we thank you again for this time. In your son's name, amen.
1: All right, good morning. How we doing? Um, you know, it almost didn't work out this morning. I was uh thought I was going to have to text Brandon and be like, "Sorry, bro, I can't. I thought I had food poisoning this morning. I was up at like 3:45 um on the porcelain throne. It was rough. <laughs> How you doing, brother? Um, but but God was faithful and he brought me through and I am here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, yeah, so I know um, some of y'all know my testimony, but I'm or uh, how I came to know the Christ, how I came to know Christ. Um, it happened when I was in high school. I think I was a junior or senior, and um, there was a pastor that was a high school teacher um, that led me to the Lord. Um, and uh, that's right, Brandon turns fifty today. Where's he at? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It wasn't Brandon. Um, but no, there was a pastor that. Um, That uh, led me to the Lord and he did it through a question and answer Bible study, which I I, I find that question and answer Bible studies can be uh, incredibly evangelistic where you just invite people Uh, It was after school one night a week, you could just come and you could ask any question um, about the Bible. And it just amazed me, because, you know, coming to it, I just kind of thought the Bible was this book with like, just like, you know, stories, basically. And I didn't know how relevant the word of God was to our lives and how much the Bible had to say about everything. Uh, And in that Bible study, he challenged us with, do you know that you have a relationship with Christ? And uh, I didn't. And so it was it was at one of those studies where um, I I accepted Christ. And and that began, um, you know, this really this love relationship between me and the word of God. And, and I can, you know, I, I was going to every Bible study I could get my hands on. Um, and, and just I was amazed at some of the things in the Old Testament. You know, it, you study um, the tabernacle in the wilderness and, and, and you see how that's actually a picture of how your universe is created and, and constructed. And you study Aaron's, the, the priestly garments of the Levites and you study the robe and how that's a, a picture of, uh, the universe. The Bible gives you a hint. Um, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10 And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. And so I was amazed at that and, and many more things. I was also amazed on how the Bible offers wisdom on how to deal with people and problems, people and problems. And, and, and I'm not just talking about like the surface stuff, you know, like do good to others, which that's true, right? We should do good to to others. That, that's that's important. But the Bible actually contains insight into your real issues into how to deal with your real issues. Okay, what are your real issues? Your real issues are the stuff that you don't want to tell anybody about because you're too ashamed, because you're afraid that you might be judged. Um, and, and yet the Bible actually has insight into these things. First Samuel nine nineteen, and Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer, go up before me into the high place for ye shall eat with me today and tomorrow I will let thee go and I will tell thee, all that is in thine heart. And don't we all desire that, right? To just be understood and, and to be told what's, what's in our heart. You know, God, I've got junk. I've got stuff in my heart. And I, I want the word of God to be the book uh, that reads me and, and gives me insight and, and transforms me and, and shows me what's wrong and, and how to make it right. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is quick. And powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So if you want God to tell you that's all in your heart, you've got to be in this book. You've got to be in the word of God, but it's available. And what you find as you study the word of God is that uh, it does read you. And God speaks to you about your issues and you begin to gain wisdom. You begin to gain wisdom and discernment. That's why David can say over in Psalm 119 verse 99, he says, I have more understanding than all my teachers for thy testimonies are my meditation. The people who are supposed to be teachers in my life, I've got more understanding than them because God's word is is my meditation. And, And That's what amazed me about the word of God 17 years ago, and that's what continues to amaze me about the word of God today. And so I have a firm belief that, um, you know, if the Bible isn't good enough to deal with our real issues and to help people, uh, then we're wasting our time. If it's just an academic study or an intellectual study, but you, you actually don't move forward in the areas where you're struggling, then we're wasting our time. But the good news is the Bible has those answers. The Bible actually has those answers and uh, so I'm not interested in a purely intellectual pursuit of the word of God um, I believe in this room people are hurting there are people in this room that are hurting I believe in this room with this many people there's some of you that are here that are hopeless that you don't know what to do what's the next move and, and some of you are, are scared and and fearful. I believe that in this room, and you need a way to deal with your real issues, and God wants to do that. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Here it is, verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Casting not some of your care, not the things that are good, but not the, you know, never mind the things that are bad. Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. He wants to know. He wants you to bring those things to to, to him. And so with all of that in mind, uh, we're going to deal with one of those real issues this morning. So I have a little survey, and I want you to be honest. How many of you in this room have ever felt like God abandoned you? Yeah. Okay. Question number two. How many of you in this room, and this is a little bit harder, have ever felt like God lied to you? Yeah. Um, Now, of course, we know God cannot lie. Um, It's impossible. But if you felt that way, you're actually in good company because you study the lives of the Old Testament saints and you find out that, that they struggled with those same things. They struggled with doubt. And so today's message is entitled When God Abandons You. When God Abandons You. And so with that, we're going to look at Jeremiah 15, on over to Jeremiah 15. Let me give you a little background information on Jeremiah for some of you that don't know. I know I like to preach from Jeremiah. You know what? This may be the last sermon for Jeremiah just because Uriah keeps talking about me. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, So, um, but it's a rich book. It's a rich book. Okay. That's all I can tell you. So the story with Jeremiah is that he was called to preach to the children of Judah um, the, the coming destruction of, the, um, of their nation because of their sin and idolatry. And you see that in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 10. Uh, you don't have to turn there. But just to get you the background, uh, God speaking to Jeremiah says, See, I have this day set thee over nations and over kingdoms to root out, to pull down, and to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. Verse 19, Jeremiah 1, And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. So Jeremiah was called of God, and he had the promises of God that God would be with him. Jeremiah obeys, and he goes, and he preaches all that God told him to preach. And as a result, Jeremiah receives much opposition, much opposition. Jeremiah eleven eighteen, And the Lord hath given me knowledge of it, and I know it. Then showest thou me their doings. And this is him speaking about himself. He says, but I was like a lamb or an ox that is brought to the slaughter. And I knew not that they had devised devices against me, saying, let us destroy the tree with the fruit thereof. And let us cut him off from the land of the living. They wanted Jeremiah to because of the message he had. They said, let us cut him off from the land of the living that his name may be no more remembered. And so as you study Jeremiah You can find several parts where you see him going through incredibly tough situations um, and things so tough sometimes that he wished he had never been born where he cursed the day he was born. And so I want to look at one of those situations this morning, Jeremiah chapter 15, and I want to understand the context of the situation. So we'll start in verse 15. And this is Jeremiah speaking. He says, "O Lord, thou knowest me. Remember me and visit me. And revenge me of my persecutors, right? These people that are literally trying to kill him. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Verse 17 I sat not in the assembly. Of the mockers, nor rejoice, I sat alone because of thy hand, for thou hast filled me with indignation. And so some of the the contributing factors to, to Jeremiah's frustration is that he was suffering for God's sake. Right? Verse 15, know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. And then verse 16, he made God's word his sustenance. Thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. It seems like he's doing the right stuff. That's my point. It seems like he's doing the right things. Uh, Verse 17, he lived rightly and did not follow with the wicked. And certainly if I I make God's word my sustenance, and um, if I'm suffering for for, for God's sake, um, then things should get better. There should be some type of blessing, and I, I shouldn't be shouldn't be going through this and so I got a few points for study Um, you're going to have kind of multiple outlines but we'll go through them um, each so the first one is the struggle is real point number
0: one
1: (laughs) here we go the struggle is real point number one obedience to God and a deep love for his word may be the very thing that prompts the trials in your life obedience to God and a deep love For his word may be the very thing that prompts the trials in your life. If you were wicked, things might have gone easier for you. Things might have gone easier. And certainly it would have gone easier for me. Um, Some of you know my my story as far as, you know, ministry. I've spent quite a, I've shared the gospel with um, hundreds of um, Arab Muslims and um, spent a lot of time um, ministering and studying through the Bible with them. Um and um it's been an awesome opportunity, but at the same time I had to deal with persecution because I decided to share Christ. And so during that time um I've had friends, um so-called friends, stop talking to me because of the message that I, I, I carried. Uh, and, and I've even had it sort of boil over sometimes in some, some pretty um nasty situations. One situation in particular, you know, we used to um me and all the guys Um, All my Saudi friends, we would hang out at Starbucks on the plaza, and we'd be there till, you know, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., just talking, and it's probably like 30 Saudi guys, Um, and we'd be out there talking. There was one Saudi guy that wanted to introduce me to his brother, Um, and his brother was suspicious, you know, like, who's this guy, and he he, he had some knowledge of the fact—I always had my Bible with me, you know, where I go, I don't care— I'm bringing my Bible with me, you know, and I had my my um, my messenger bag, not that one, but um, one similar to it. And I always had my Bible with me, just was always ready to, you know, to share. And um, and he introduced me to his brother. And it was like a positive thing. Like, hey, this is Eric. But this guy was like, who are you? Why are you? Why are you talking to these guys? Like, what's your real agenda? Um, And it it started off, you know, um, calm enough. But by the time we were at the end of that conversation, he was yelling at me. Uh, we had both stood up, um, and it was escalating quickly uh, and He was accusing me um, of everything like he was accusing me of taking money from them um, and and just doing really bad things and none of it was true but um, that 's what he was accusing me of and and, and and part of the the undertone of it was the fact that I was a christian and 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 you know it 's not a secret you know uh, and what ended up happening it's like two a m and um, he just like so I just decide to leave because there's no point in in continuing to debate about it, and he calls all those guys like he just calls them together and he just like starts um like just preaching to them about me and how bad of a person I am in arabic right and so um so I leave and and um I call my my buddy um Nathan because uh, he also Spent a lot of time with the same Saudi guys, and we just prayed over the phone. And I, I went to bed, you know. Uh, now, in this particular situation, God did redeem it. I couldn't sleep, and so I'm just laying there in bed and just like, just in shock of what had just happened. And I get a phone call at like 4:30 a.m. from a strange number, um, you know, and it happened to be him. And what, you know, God redeemed it. So um, he called me to apologize because when he pulled those guys together and he began to tell them about how bad of a person that I was and how I was taking advantage of them, they corrected him. And they told him, no, Eric's never taken a dime from us. He's actually given us money. He's actually helped us. Uh, and he called me to apologize. It was a Saturday night, and he asked me to pray for him when I went to church the next day. Um, so, it, 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 But my point is, obedience to God and a deep love for his word is what will prompt the struggles that, and so you should just just know that. Just know that. that, that That's how that works. Um, now here's another point that we need to understand. The struggle is real. Point number two. Suffering for Christ is a privilege you only get to participate in during this life. Think about that. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you die, you get your glorified body, you're, you're, you're reigning with him for... Um, eternity, that's it. There's no more suffering. That can only happen in this life. That is only an opportunity. You only have this life to suffer for Christ. And that's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians four sixteen, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction is which is but for a moment, this life is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. But you can only do that now. You can only suffer now in this life. That's that's an act of worship. That's an offering you can make to your Savior. You can only do it in this life. Opportunity is gone um, after you die that's it and so Jeremiah's obeying God and that obedience is what causes the issues and like I said sometimes that's what's in God's will for us and and my prayer is that God would deliver us from a, a comfort driven mindset that says if it's not comfortable or convenient I'm out God deliver us from that one of the greatest hindrances to Christians in the United States is the worldly expectation of comfort and convenience Comfort and convenience. It keeps us from pursuing God fully. But what I want to do is I want to get to Jeremiah's complaint and crisis. Okay, so look at verse 18. This is where the plot thickens. Jeremiah says to God, he says, Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed? And then he asked God these questions. He says, wilt thou be altogether unto me as a liar and as waters that fail? And when I first read that, that blew my mind, that that Jeremiah would pose that, that question to God. But that's the beauty, particularly of the book of Jeremiah, is that you can see his real struggles. And more than that, you can see how God responded to it. And you can get that insight for your life. And so let's break down the problems that he has. He asks the question, why is my pain perpetual? That's a fair question. I might expect that in being a follower of God, there would be some relief from pain. It seems that in God's love, he should intervene, right? And, And provide relief. And yet you find the words pain and perpetual together. Jeremiah has perpetual pain. He goes on to describe his pain as a wound that's incurable. And it's interesting that the will of God allows for wounds that seems to be incurable. The the implication is that it's a fatal wound. That's the implication of that, right? If a wound is incurable, it's fatal. It reminds me of the woman that had an issue of blood in Luke chapter 8. It says, and the woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. And you go on and read the story, you find out that she encounters Jesus and there's healing. But you know what? There's not always, right? Sometimes it's it's an entire life. And so he says the wound refuses to be healed. I don't seem to be getting any help from God with the healing of this wound. Now, I do have to, to, to point this out because I think it's an important picture that we should understand that sin is a fatal wound. Sin is a fatal wound. You were born with it and absent help from the Lord, you will die twice. You will die twice. You will die a physical death and you will die a spiritual death. Revelation 20, chapter 20, verse 6, it says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Chapter 20, verse 14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Verse 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And then we understand for Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin is a fatal wound. And absent help from the Lord, you will die twice. And so Jeremiah is asking these questions because he's assumed that God has already left them. That's my point. Right. If you get to the place to where you're asking God, are you going to be a liar and waters that fail? But here's something I think we need to comprehend, because it's. I know that we, we, we we often pray that we want God to use us and we want to be used greatly. That's the prayer. That's the desire. God use me and use me greatly. But the struggle is real. Number three, as a principle to be used greatly of God is to suffer greatly. To be used greatly of God is to suffer greatly. You have to be willing to suffer greatly. Our chief example was Christ, right? To secure our salvation, what did he have to do? He had to die. He had to suffer greatly. And so we, like Jeremiah, we too quickly assume that God has abandoned us just because things are uncomfortable and hard. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the spirit. You take the apostle Paul, used greatly of the Lord, right, to minister to all New Testament believers. He wrote a third of your New Testament. He had revelations from God. This is the glory of his ministry, but he suffered greatly, did he not? Acts chapter nine, verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and to the children of Israel for I will show him how many great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And so there's a price tag to being used greatly of the Lord. You must be willing to suffer greatly. You must be willing to suffer greatly. The struggle is real number four. The only cure for perpetual pain is patience and suffering and dependence on God. Patience and suffering and dependence on God. What would we do if we had no need of God? If you had all the money you wanted, if you were a billionaire, what would you do? You wouldn't check in with God, probably. I'm just guessing. But the stats are out. Study the people that win the lottery. It doesn't go well for them. It's like a death sentence, actually. You want to ruin your life? Win the lottery. (laughs) Seriously. Like, you want to ruin your life? It's not a blessing. It's a curse. You want to ruin your life? Win the lottery. First mistake, you take the lump sum payout. Okay, bad choice. (laughs) Second mistake, you go and you spend it all, and then you can't maintain the lifestyle, and then you're depressed and suicidal because you have no way of earning that kind of money and a lot of them end up committing suicide Matthew chapter 13 verse 22 he also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful and so if you're asking why your pain is perpetual it's it's because God allows it to be there to keep you close to him to keep you close to him It should drive you to your knees. And so these questions that Jeremiah raises, they get to the core of our our very being. Um, He raises real issues, and and he wrestled with doubt and unbelief as a result of it. He says, God, do you care that I feel like you lied to me? And this is what one commentator says, uh, you know, when he says, God, will you be unto me as waters that fail? The sense is, this is Joseph Benson he says, thou hast promised to be my defense against mine enemies, and wilt thou altogether deceive me like little brooks, which are dried up in summer when they are most wanted, and so disappoint the thirsty traveler. Right? The point of your greatest need. Hot in summer, and the brook is dried up. Waters that fail. That's what he's saying. God, is this what you're going to be to me? When I feel like I need you most, you're not there. So, like I said, the beauty of Jeremiah is not only do you get to see his struggles and his complaints, you get to see God's response. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Jeremiah fifteen nineteen. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, if thou return, then will I bring thee again and thou shalt stand before me. And if thou take forth the precious from the vial, thou shalt be as my mouth. Let them return unto thee, but return thou not unto them. So let's get real quick. Let's just talk about three truths concerning God's abandonment of you. Truth number one, you abandoned God. You abandoned God. It was you that abandoned God, not God that abandoned you. So here's what happened. Somewhere in between the point when you were satisfied in Christ And when you felt abandoned, you allowed your heart to take the driver's seat, and you were deceived by it. That's how you got there. Somewhere from being satisfied in Christ to feeling abandoned, your heart took the driver's seat, and you were deceived by it. So let me give you the real questions. The real questions, and I don't think I put this in there, so you're just going to have to write it down. All right. The real questions. It's not God, where are you? It's God, where am I? God's place hasn't changed. His position hasn't changed, and so God's still there. If you're far from God, it's not because God walked away. It's not God, where are you? It's God, where am I? It's not God, why did you leave? It's God, why did I leave? It's God, why did I leave? And it's not God, when will you? It's Christian, when will you return? That's why he says, that's why God's response starts out with conditional, a conditional statement. If thou return. The only way we're going to be able to work through this abandonment, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to decide to return. If thou return. You know, we are so incredibly driven by our own emotions. And what happens is God will reveal to us something, and 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 we just, in our weakness sometimes, we allow our heart to get attached to it, and we begin to add things to it. We add all this stuff to what God has showed us, these things, and that's where the unmet expectations come from, and that's where feeling abandoned comes from, because we add all this stuff in, stuff God never said, God never promised you know, I've, I've dealt with quite a few counseling situations here lately, and the thread that connects all of them are people who profess to be Christians but are totally ruled by their emotions. Jesus is not Lord. Their emotions are. And, and that, that's, that's, that's the problem. Jeremiah was right. Jeremiah 17, chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that's why in wisdom, Proverbs says, keep thy heart with all diligence. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence. With everything that you do. With every effort uh, you can make. Keep your heart with all diligence. Why? For out of it are the issues of life we find ourselves in a mess. We find our lives in a mess because our hearts go after things. And those are the things that we pursue. And it, it, and it's to our ruin. It's to our ruin. I want to consider an example. I want to look at the, the life of the, the, the children of Israel. So God told Moses to go and, and free the children of Israel. And he told him he would, he would, he would do that. He told him that he would use him to free the children of Israel. Now, He didn't tell Moses that the process would be easy. He didn't promise that, but, you know, we never assume suffering, right? Anytime we plan the future, we always plan the positive. We never plan in suffering. We never plan in inconvenience. God gave me a promise. It's going to happen tomorrow by noon, right? (laughs) That's how we make our plans. And we're always disappointed and devastated when it doesn't happen that way. You know, you just, okay, if God's doing something, you have to expect opposition. That's a mature perspective. Expect opposition just plan for it because the enemy is going to oppose it. That's just the way it works. And so he doesn't promise Moses that it'd be easier, easy to do. And as a matter of fact, as you study the the story of Moses, um, you know, Moses goes and he delivers this message to Pharaoh. And I'm, you know, I don't know what Moses was thinking, but I'm sure he wasn't planning on having to do everything that happened. Right. So God tells him, we're going to use it to free the children of Israel. He's like, "Okay, good. I'm going to go deliver this message. And after that, like Pharaoh's going to comply and it's going to be awesome. Right. But what happened after he gave them, gave Pharaoh that first message? What happened? It got worse, didn't it? Like really bad. Okay, so Exodus chapter five verse 14 here's what happened and the officers of the children of israel which pharaoh pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them were beaten and demanded wherefore have ye not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as heretofore verse 15 then the officers of the children of israel came and cried unto pharaoh saying wherefore dealest thou dealest thou thus with thy servants there is no straw given us given unto thy servants And they say to us, make brick, and behold, thy servants are beaten, but the fault is thine own people. So Moses goes, and he asks Pharaoh for this, and in response to that, Pharaoh's like, okay, y'all don't have enough to do. If you're coming to me asking me to let you go, so rather than me give you straw to make brick, uh, I'm going to not provide the straw for you, but you have to deliver the same amount of bricks. And so the officers were beaten, the the officers of the children of Israel were beaten uh, uh, because they they, they couldn't meet the, the quota without the straw being provided to them. Uh, But this is Pharaoh's response, verse 17. But he said, ye are idle, ye are idle, therefore ye say, let us go and do a sacrifice to the Lord. Verse 18, go therefore now and work, for there shall no straw be given you, yet shall ye deliver the tale of bricks. And the officers of the the children of Israel did see that they were in evil case. After it was said, ye shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. You bet not miss one brick. It's basically the translation of that, right? You bet not miss... One brick. Um, Okay, so verse 20. And they met Moses and Aaron, who stood in the way, and they came forth from Pharaoh. And they said unto him, The Lord look upon you and judge, because ye have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. And Moses spake so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. They couldn't trust in the promises of the Lord because their circumstances um, had gotten so bad they were, they were distracted from it. Things had gotten worse for them. And so they, in their hearts, they walked away from God. And this can be us. We can allow our circumstances to pull away from our belief in our Father. We can allow our circumstances to pull us away from our belief in our Father. And what God is saying is that if you return Christian, then he'll bring you again. And and there's an amazing promise of restoration. So what do we need to return from? We need to return from, number one, distrust in God. There's a distrust in God. There's a distrust of God's providence. And what's awesome about this is that the promise of restoration is there's a promise of restoration for the presence of God. Because he says, therefore, thus saith the Lord, if thou return, then will I bring thee again and thou shalt stand before me. Thou shalt stand before me. I find this amazing that even in Jeremiah's lowest point when he's questioning God and, and basically God's integrity that God. Now, you know, if somebody had come to you and questioned your integrity, right? Like and you were God, you'd probably be ready to strike him down. Right. Like I will smite you, you know, like that type of thing. But God in his love, he just says, if you return, you can stand before me. That's an awesome promise. That if you return, you can stand before him. He will take you back. So I'm, you know, I am by no means perfect, but I am learning to trust in the providence of God. And what I mean by that is I'm learning not to squirm. Right. So it's like when you when you, you know, I don't have any kids, but like I've seen this before. Right. You get your kid and you try to put them in the car seat. And what are they doing? They don't want to be in the car seat. Right. So they're squirming. Right. Trying to get out of it. And it's like you knucklehead. This is for your protection. (laughs) But that's us, isn't it? God puts us in a situation and we squirm. And we won't acknowledge that it's for our protection. It's, It's for our betterment. And so I'm learning not to squirm. I'm learning just to let God do what God is doing and to trust in that. There is a gospel song called Accept What God Allows. I'm not going to sing it for you. I almost put a clip up there, but I was like, you know what? I'm just going to focus on the lyrics. Um, but it's an excellent song. Anybody even listen to the Clark Sisters? Who do, do we know who the Clark Sisters are? Anybody? Okay, praise the Lord. Amen. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Five points. There you go. <laughs> By your name. Um, so Twinkie Clark. <laughs> Twinkie Clark. Her name is Twinkie Clark. I, this, she's famous. The Clark, Clark sisters are epic yeah. in the gospel community. Epic. <laughs> epic. Okay. Anyway, and they've been singing for for thirty plus years. I mean, these sisters are are old now, but they are still going. You should YouTube it. Anyway. Um, <laughs> But let me just share the lyrics of this, this song because some of the lyrics, not all, this, but because there's wisdom there. It says, Accept what God allows, you're better off, anyways. Face the facts, and you will never stray. Accept what God allows, even when you don't understand, except every trial. Accept even now, He'll give you a smile. Put it in His hands. He has a master plan. Your trial is but a stepping stone. It will lead you to your heavenly home. And so just that that phrase of accepting what God allows. If God allows it, I can accept it. If God allowed it, I can accept it. And I can worship him for it. And if we could just accept what God is doing, we would never stray. We would stand in the presence of God. Point number two, you abandon God's work. So not only did you, truth number one was you abandon God, but truth number two, you abandon God's work. So he says, therefore, thus saith the Lord, if thou return, then will I bring thee again, and thou shalt stand before me. And if thou take forth the precious from the vial, thou shalt be as my mouth. Now we got to consider that. What does that mean if you take forth the precious from the vile. How do you define precious? Precious is something that is rare and of great value. Rare and of great value. So what are the things of God that are precious? Because these are the things that we should be focused on. And so I got a list for you. Precious things of the Bible. Can we get it up there? There we go. Wow, it didn't show up there properly. Okay. (laughs) That's not how I formatted it. Okay. You might take a picture if you want to, but that's a mess. Um, (laughs) Okay. Okay, but precious things of the Bible, we're going to move through these quickly. The word of God. First Samuel three one. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. Number two, salvation, for the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. Number three, sanctification. Psalm one sixteen, verse fifteen Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Number four, suffering. 1 Peter 1.7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Number five, faith in Christ. 2 Peter one Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Number six, Jesus Christ. Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Number seven, the blood of Christ. 1 Peter one nineteen. But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. These are the precious things. And what God is instructing Jeremiah to do is you need to focus your attention on taking the precious from the vile. Taking the precious from the vile. These are the things you need to be investing your time in. The stuff on this list. What are the vile things? Well, vile, definition of vile, vile is something that is worthless and morally bankrupt. Worthless and morally bankrupt a short list of vile things but uh, comprehensive nonetheless so number one example of vile things idolaters now I'm 114 chapter 1 verse 14 and the Lord hath given a commandment concerning thee that no more thy name be sown out of the house of thy gods will I cut off the graven image and the molten image I will make thy grave for thou art vile Number two, evil sexual desire. Romans 1, chapter 1, verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Number three, the flesh. Philippians three twenty-one. Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is even to subdue all things unto himself. And so three practical things that I want to give you in taking forth the precious from the vile. Three practical things. Discipleship in others. Discipleship in others. It is a great privilege to be able to, to meet with someone and to teach them what it is to follow the Lord. To teach them what it is to let go of the vile things in their life and to take hold of the precious things. And if you're feeling like God has abandoned you, you return to God and you get to work doing the stuff that God is asking you to do. Get to work doing the stuff that God is asking you to do. It's great joy in seeing someone else's life change. It means you got to get your focus off of yourself. It means you may not have the immediate answers to how to solve your problems, but get to work investing in other people. And then sanctification in self, letting God's word move in your life. You need to be growing. Commentator Albert Warren said, separate in yourself what is divine and holy from what is waste and of human passion. So you need to do that. There needs to be discipleship, investing in others. And if you haven't been discipled, that's the first step. You can't teach someone to be a disciple until you are a disciple. Get discipled. It's life-changing. It is life-changing. It changed my life forever. It put me on a completely different trajectory. I, I would have never dreamed that I'd be here today doing this 15 years ago. It was not even on my radar. And that's true for every person in this room. What God has in store for you, you probably don't even understand yet. But get to work doing. Taking the precious from the vial. And then you have to abandon your mistrust of God. You have to abandon that. You have to accept the things that he allows and trust in him. And then truth number three, God is with you as you continue in the work despite the trials. And that's what I love about this. This passage. He says, Jeremiah 15, verse 20. And I will make thee unto this people a fenced, brazen wall, and they shall fight against thee. So God's not saying, no, the pain's going to end. He's not promising that. He's telling them up front. They're going to fight against you, but they shall not prevail against thee. And then what does he say? For I am with thee to save thee. You can't expect the presence of God if you're not willing to engage in God's work. You know, we want God to be there with us, and we don't want to be abandoned by God, but we don't want to do God's work. Well, that's, there's a spiritual principle there. You, you, you see what God is doing, and you go join God. You stay with God. If God's going this way, this is the way we're going. And says, I am with thee to save thee. God is with you as you continue in the work despite the trials. The trials will continue, but God is with you in the work. Doesn't mean it won't be hard, because it will be. But God is with you in the work. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you all a chance to respond. And so let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's have the worship team come. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many of you would say... Things have been hard for me lately, and I've been wrestling with feeling like God's not with me. Is there anybody that would say that? I've been wrestling with feeling like God's not with me. Okay, I'll see your hands. How many of you would say, I've been too focused on me and my issues, and I know I need to reengage in God's work? I've been too focused on me and my issues, and I know I need to reengage in God's work. Yes, to see your hands. How many, is there anybody that would say, I don't even know if I really know God. I don't know if I'm going to heaven. Pray for me. Is there anybody that would say that? I don't know if I know God, and I don't know if I'm going to heaven. So here's the solution. Suffering is a part of God's plan, But suffering alone is your choice. You don't have to suffer alone. You have a body here of people that love you and would love to meet with you and pray with you and and get you the accountability, uh, the relationships that you need so that you can move forward in faith. And so, my challenge to you this morning is don't suffer alone. We're going to have people standing on both sides of the room. And as we worship, I want you to, to, if you need to pray with somebody, pull them aside and pray with them. If you need accountability, do that, but you don't be alone. And so let's go ahead and stand, and you come forward and let us pray with you. <coughs>